listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at sojournfairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of his word. Our passage this morning is Isaiah 40, 3 through 5. So if you can turn there with me and please stand for the reading of God's word. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning and welcome. My name's Tom. I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn. I just want to say that it's such a, a blessing and a pleasure to worship with you all here today. And this is such an exciting morning for us, as Eric just pumped us up for, because today starts the season of Advent, and it starts our Advent series. And this year, our Advent sermon series is actually being done with Redeeming Grace Church. And we're calling this series, Come and See His Glory. And we're going to conclude our services together. We're going to conclude the Advent series together on Christmas Eve at RGC, at Redeeming Grace Church. So we hope that you all can make it and plan on worshiping with us and worshiping with them together. Yes, Advent season. We prepare during this season of hope and expectancy, as Eric just told us, as we celebrate that the Son of God, Jesus, has come to us as the God-man to rescue mankind and in hope that he will come again and make things all new. Amen. Man, Advent, Advent season has always been such a fun and such a, an exciting and such a special season in my life personally. As a kid, I just loved Advent. I absolutely loved it. I loved going to church with my family because each week we would get to see the wreath and we would get to see the candles. And I know, I knew the moment I saw those candles and the moment I saw that wreath, I knew that I wouldn't have to go to school. And I knew that I could play street hockey with my friends. And I knew that I could play pickup football and eat as much chocolate and cookies and cake and pie and so on and so forth and cookies I think I said that twice but there's a reason for that if you know me <laughs> I just got so excited seeing the seeing the gifts under the Christmas tree it was absolutely magical one season I actually I must confess one season well let me let me give you the layout of uh, of our TV room my parents TV room so in Pittsburgh where I was born and raised we had this TV room and we had two couches and we would watch the TV. We watched the football games and the hockey games on the TV. But below it, we had these wooden cabinets. And if you opened one of the wooden cabinets, there was this old, uh, late 1970s TV. That was, that was the kids' TV. And what we did is we hooked up a, uh, a console to it. I'm not going to say which ones because all the college kids in here and all the high school and middle schoolers are going to be like, what? What is, a, what is Atari? <laughs> right? They've probably never even heard of that. Thank you. So what we would do is we would play our video games on the below TV while we were uh, watching the above TV or while my parents were watching the above TV. It was quite brilliant if you think about it because my parents 
got to keep an eye on us in their own home. So that's a little tip for every parent in here or would-be parent. But here's the confession. One Christmas, uh, one week leading up to Christmas, I knew, I just knew because I went through every single gift underneath the Christmas tree and I would shake every single gift underneath the Christmas tree. I just knew one of these gifts was the NHL hockey game that my friend and Aaron Fry, my best friend in Pittsburgh, were waiting for. So six days prior to Christmas, what did we do? We took the gift out from under the tree, neatly opened it, and in front of my parents, mind you, without them knowing, they're probably going to hear this recording and say, what? <laughs> we put it in the console and we played the video game. And we played it all day long, all day long. And then, of course, like uh, good kid, the good kids that we were, we took the video game, neatly wrapped it back uh, as the gift, you know, neatly packaged, put it right back under the tree where it was. And six days later, six days later, Christmas morning came, and I said, Mom and Dad, thank you. I'm just so excited for this hockey game that you got me. Whew. Man, I felt good. <laughs> I felt good to confess that to everyone uh, 25 years later. But you would be happy to know that I fully repented. I fully repented of the act but we're going to get uh, more in-depth about repentance later. I remember going to church, though. I remember, let's get back on track. I remember going to church on Sunday mornings, but more so on Sunday nights. More so on Sunday nights, because Sunday nights, the, this, this church that we went to go through, in which we uh, used to go to, is like this cathedral at night. Okay, the stained glass windows, if a, if a speck of light would hit these stained glass windows, it would just light up the entire church. And it was this, it just looked like this beautiful cathedral. Every piece of stained glass was just absolutely magnified. But you know, I didn't really understand or even comprehend the Advent season at that time, or Christmas for that matter. I thought it was just an extended time to miss school, play video games, open presents, and see my cousins be with my friends. I didn't understand the real meaning, which was celebrating the coming of Christ. But by God's grace, I now have a deeper understanding of Advent and can enjoy the Advent season. I now know that the, direct, that the decorations that we see each year have meaning, like the round wreath, as you see here on the stage, which represents God's infinite love, or the, the leaves, which represent the hope of life, eternal in Jesus. And then the four candles, they even have meaning of their own. Each week a new candle is lit or the battery is turned on and, and has the appearance <laughs> of, of being lit. Each candle has its own representation. We have hope, peace, joy, love. You see, the Advent season prepares us for the birth of Jesus Christ, the light of God coming in to the world, as Eric announced to us earlier through liturgy. And the word advent comes from the Latin word adventus, meaning coming. We celebrate the coming of Christ at Christmas, and we long for the second coming of Christ's return. As we will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. This morning as we kick off our advent series, titled, as I said a moment ago, Come and See His Glory, will begin today by looking at the promise of God's glory being revealed. Let us pray. 
Heavenly Father, open our ears, O Lord, to hear your word and know your voice. Speak to our hearts and strengthen our wills that we may serve you today, now, and always. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Rebecca just came up on stage a few minutes ago and read Isaiah 43 through 5. Now, what Rebecca read was actually um, a prophecy, okay, a prophecy pointing to a promise, a promised rescuer, the promised Messiah, our one and only hope, revelation of the Lord's glory at the arrival of King Jesus. So let's jump right into the text by looking at verses 3 and 4. So if you'd like to follow along uh, with me in your Bible, we're in Isaiah chapter 40. We're going to be reading verses 3 and 4. So starting in verse 3, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places, the rough places a plain. You see the wilderness here, okay, the wilderness here represented a few things on its own. The wilderness here represented a few things on its own. And the wilderness was a place of judgment. Okay, it was a place of judgment from the Lord. But it was also seen in the Exodus as a place where Israel, a place where Israel would learn to trust the Lord, depending on him day and night for survival in a land not sown, as shown to us in Jeremiah chapter 2. The wilderness also is linked to something that is sometimes overlooked, and that is to ensuing restoration or future restoration. You see, there was to be hope coming out of the wilderness, out of a place of wandering from God, but God never leaving his people. Now, we have examples of prophecies, and we have examples of promises which pointed to the long-awaited Messiah, and these can be shown to us in Malachi and also Isaiah. You know, in 700 BC, the prophet Isaiah announces a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And later, around 450 BC, we have Malachi chapter 3, which says, behold, I send a messenger and he will prepare the way before me. Now, the Messiah would be preceded by a prophetic messenger, the Elijah-esque prophet that Malachi in chapter 3 had spoke about. And the crazy thing that this prophecy, about this prophecy, is that it wasn't just metaphorical language. It was not just metaphorical language. It was pointing to an actual person who would be the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Now, we saw this recently here at Sojourn in our sermon series in the Gospel of John. We saw and we see in John 1.23 that John the Baptist said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. Indeed, it was John the Baptist. He would prepare the way for the Lord, the son of Elizabeth, the son of of Zechariah. So here we have John the Baptist embracing the wilderness through his appearance, through his clothing, and the food that he ate, eating honey and eating 
locust, wearing the skins of animals, being the one, being one with the wilderness while he was in the wilderness. This was the messenger. This was the messenger that Malachi and Isaiah had spoke of. And it is the future restoration that John the Baptist was preparing the way for. He was preparing the way for the God-man who would lead mankind into a new exodus. Now, the Messiah would bring hope. He would bring hope for all of his people. So here we now have John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus to come. He is, what he's doing is he's alerting Israel through his messages, through his testimony, and through the way that he is living his life. And he's telling Israel of the judgment that was to come via the Father's Son. Now, now John, when he spoke, he spoke with urgency. And he preached to the people to repent. And he proclaimed that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. Again, he was calling the people to repent. Here he is pleading with them to pivot their thoughts and to drastically, drastically change their lives and to turn away from their sins and to turn towards God. He was guiding them towards repentance. Charles Spurgeon writes that repentance is a discovery of the veil of sin, a mourning that we have committed it, a resolution to forsake it. It is, in fact, a change in mind of a very deep and practical character, which makes the man love what he once hated and hate what he once loved. And the people were indeed repenting. And when this was occurring, John was gaining disciples. He was gaining followers. Verse 4, okay, verse 4 is filled with metaphors as we're preparing for Christ to come. Here the physical terrain is being referenced, right? Rough terrain uh, is what God's people would be approaching, Jerusalem. But it's also a metaphor for preparing our hearts in an act of true repentance and cleansing as John was calling the people to do. It's an illustration of shifting everything, shifting absolutely everything to prepare for the, for the arrival of the Messiah, the Messiah, a leveling and a reshaping of the world for God's kingdom, preparing for the arrival of King Jesus and all of his glory. All of his glory. You see, John, John is something that we don't necessarily connect the dots to. He is the fulfillment. He is the fulfillment. He isn't just the voice crying out. He is the fulfillment of the voice crying out of the wilderness, calling people to have faith in the promised rescuer, the promised Messiah, the one who would reveal the glory of God to his people, which is exactly what they needed. And furthermore, sojourn, it's exactly what we need today, the promised Messiah. So picking back up in verse 5, picking up in verse 5, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, there is so much beauty and so much wonder, so much beauty and so much wonder to unpack here. This, this, this is God's glory. All flesh will see it. This is so exciting and so full of hope. In verse 5, 
he says, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. So being faced with this excitement and this hope, here are the three questions that we need to ask ourselves. What is the glory of the Lord? What is the glory of the Lord? And also, why does it need to be revealed? What is the glory of the Lord? Why does it need to be revealed? And lastly, why is this good news for us? Well, let's start with question number one. What is the glory of the Lord? You know, this, this, isn't, the easiest, <laughs> this isn't the easiest question to answer because we don't have direct reference in Scripture that defines his glory. Rather, we have moments that he reflects his glory. When we ask, what is the glory of the Lord? It is simply God displaying himself to us in such beautiful ways that our finite minds can comprehend. It is God taking his holiness and transforming transforming it into the forms of splendor for us to embrace it and recognize it as glory so that he can be, will be, and is glorified. One commentator puts it like this. He says, his glory is the fiery radiance of his very nature. His glory is the fiery radiance of his very nature. Think about that for a second. Here are some examples in scripture where he reflects his glory. Just to name a few, I could, we could name a lot, but just to name a few in Exodus 24. Exodus 24 shows the Lord as a devouring fire on the top of a mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Ezekiel chapter 1 illustrates the glory of the Lord in the form of a chariot, which is charging down from heaven to set forth the creator's majesty on earth, which was his creation. He also appears as a form of creation as a burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. Genesis 32, God wrestles with Jacob all night. His glory is even shown to us as a whisper. How about the first coming that we celebrate of the Lord? In the Gospel of Luke, we're reminded that an angel of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Here, God's glory takes form in the appearance of an angel, and in the mere moment of being in the midst of God's glory, had the shepherds trembling. Had the shepherds trembling. The glory of the Lord also takes form via the Trinity and also Jesus Christ. As created beings, we tend to forget that the Trinity existed before all of creation because we are so focused on the here and the now and what we can see and what has been created. We forget that John Okay, we forget that John actually starts his gospel by telling us that Christ has existed in heaven before his appearance on earth. Okay, Christ existed in heaven before his appearance on earth. Although Christ was and is distinct from the Father, Christ was and is God in the fullest sense. One of my favorite, one of my favorite, and I think most beautiful Pieces in scripture. One of my favorite and most beautiful pieces of scripture is John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. This is the glory of the Lord before the existence of creation, found in the form of the Godhead, the Trinity. Three persons, one essence. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It was Jesus it was Jesus who created all things out of nothing. It was Christ that John the Baptist was preparing the world for, the preexistent Son of God who would be taking on human nature. The glory of the Lord, the glory of the Lord preexisted prior to creation as glorification within the Trinity was present. Let me say that again, because to me, this is mind-blowing. Absolutely mind-blowing and magnificent. The glory of the Lord pre-existed prior to creation as glorification within the Trinity was present. One author describes it like this. The Father glorifies the Son, and the Son glorifies the Father. The Spirit glorifies the, glorifies the Son, and therefore glorifies the Father through the Son. In this context, Believers glorify Christ, and that he gives glory to us. Shown to us in John 17. Now, if this is the case, if this is the case, then we need to ask ourselves this question, which is question two. Why does the glory of the Lord need to be revealed? Why does the glory of the Lord need to be revealed? Well, God created us for his glory, not for our own glory, but for his glory. That's it. And the coming of Jesus reveals this. It reveals his glory. The coming of Jesus reveals his glory. One commentator writes, we can be certain that the glory of the Lord Jesus will be revealed to the whole world because God has decreed it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. His glory will be admired and delighted in and trembled at everywhere. The great sin of our race is to diminish God, but he has resolved to overcome all God trivializing obstacles and magnify himself in our eyes through Jesus Christ the Lord. Isaiah 43, bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory from, excuse me, whom I formed and made, whom I created for my glory. Think about this for a, for a moment. Think about this for a second. We are carriers. We are vessels. We are basins of his glory, of God's glory. God's glory can be and should be seen in us and through us. One of my favorites, R.C. Sproul says, being made in God's image and reflecting his holiness is to be our supreme aim. That's it. It should be our supreme aim. And when we do this, the Lord's glory shines brightly in us and sojourn. Hear me when I say this, if the Lord's gl glory is shining brightly in us, then we are surely glorifying him. If the Lord's glory is shining brightly in us, then we are surely glorifying him. To reflect his holiness, though, we need to know his attributes. We need to know his attributes so we can understand him better. We need to know the attributes of God and pray for understanding and seek to know him better. Then we hopefully mirror the attributes 
of God. In our limited human sense, the, the attributes that we can reflect. And if this happens, then God's glory is on display and can be seen by others, other believers. And it can be seen by other non-believers also. They see the Creator's glory through His creation. In this instance, it's us. Jesus references this in John and Mark as he says, His disciples are the light of the world. One author puts it this way, Our words and our lives bring praise to God, which shows His glory light to the world. To glorify God, then, is simply to obey Him, and therefore to proclaim His greatness by our words and by our deeds. However, if we're being honest with each other, we can aim to steal the recognition right out from under God. We can covet the glory and try to capture it for ourselves. The very thing that we need to see God's glory is what we try to steal. It's the root of our sin. It is the root of our rebellion. When Isaiah says a voice calling out from the wilderness, a place of desolation and despair, is that glory will come. And instead of crushing you because you've sought to steal God's glory, it will be revealed to you and provide a way to be healed and to be made new. Rescued, rescued from your rebellion. Rescued from your rebellion. This can come up in a variety of different ways for many of you, for many of us. Why do we like receiving, why do we like receiving glory over giving glory to the Lord? Why are we acting as thieves when it comes to praise? For me, it's easy, it's really easy to be tempted to steal God's glory. Actually, let me rephrase that. It's easy to flat out steal God's glory. I can attest it in my life. I can attest it in my life. I easily look to what others think. Every single day, every single moment, I hate it. I easily look to what others think, and I love, love the praise that others give. My motivation, my personal motivation, usually comes from being affirmed. I love affirmation. Nothing drives me more than affirmation, meaning I can fall into the trap of wanting praise and wanting glory for the things that I do. I like momentary victories. I can fall privy to succeeding in measuring my success based off of short-term goals and wins instead of eternal goals. And when this happens, I can rely more so on my own strength instead of the Lord's strength because I'm focusing on myself in the here and now rather than focusing in, focusing in on him. This can take the form of focusing on my reputation versus my preaching and celebrating his name. Viewing myself on social media standing at the pulpit and teaching a Bible class rather than highlighting God and giving glory to him from the pulpit. I've fallen privy to spending more time on the appearance of the working of my skill than praying to my Lord and Savior and soaking my mind and soul in his word. And why do I do this? Simple. 
because I want all the glory. I'm a glory stealer. I'm a glory thief. But you know what? Praise God that there is hope for a glory stealer like me, for a thief like me, because stealing glory from God is sinning. But, if, but instead of being lost and hopeless, because I sin, I now have hope in Christ knowing that this sin that I am committing and every sin that I've ever committed or will commit is forgiven because I have been reconciled to the Lord through the death of Jesus on the cross. Yes, darn right, amen. <laughs> I have been given grace. We have been given grace. We have been given free grace. Grace purchased by the blood of the cross for a glory thief like me and for like you. Sojourn, this is the good news. This is the good news of the gospel, knowing that there is hope, not just for glory stealers like us, but for all sinners, the hope of reconciliation and forgiveness and holiness. We need to be giving God the glory by believing in Christ and committing our lives through faith to Jesus by trusting in him as our Lord and Savior and not ourselves, receiving the gift of forgiveness, confessing our sins, turning away from our old ways, turning towards Christ as our one and only hope, knowing that by doing this, we receive eternal life and one day we will be with him in heaven. You see, friends, Jesus came. He came so that we would have everything that we would ever need in him and him alone. And if we have Christ, then we have no need to hope in anything else because nothing else will ever satisfy our hearts. Insert whatever that is here. For me, it's affirmation. For me, it's the glory of man. For you, it may be something different. There will come a day that Christ will return just as he has come. And when he returns, he will judge all people and rule and reign with the saints forever. The believer will be resurrected into the presence of God in the presence of glory. The unbeliever will be resurrected to everlasting, uncon excuse me, everlasting conscious punishment. It is imperative, absolutely imperative, that we point each other towards Christ, that we share the hope of the gospel in order for everyone to be able to experience redemption and to experience hope. We must not keep this hope trapped inside of us. We cannot do it. We must share it. We must share it with everyone that we come into contact with, and in doing so, we should be giving the glory to him. 1 Peter 1, 3-4 says that in his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Oh, and by the way, being in the presence of the Lord is being surrounded by glory. This is why when the psalmist speaks of heaven in chapter 73, verse 24, he cites heaven itself as glory. You see, if you're in Christ and you pass from earth, you're going to be lifted up and taken into the presence of the Lord. And in his presence, glory will abound. Nothing will be more precious, nothing more significant, nothing more magnificent, nothing more beautiful because we'll be surrounded by his essence. We're going to be surrounded by his spirit. We're going to be surrounded by his glory. 
Friends, Christ is in us. Our once dead spirits have now been made alive. That's an amen moment. The spirit now indwells in us, and we are destined for glory as one day we will be in his presence. We're destined for glory because we're going to be in his presence. This is why this text matters. This is why we celebrate Advent. Because Jesus has come. Glory has been revealed. And now we have hope that he will come again and the fullness of his glory will be revealed. When we see him in all of his perfection and when we see him, Colossians 3 tells us we will be made fully like him. No more sin, no more separation. We will be with our God forever and ever in complete perfection, basking in his grace, basking in his glory. Sojourn, it is time for us to remember and rejoice in the faithfulness of God who told us thousands of years ago that rescue was coming. So now let me, let us invite you to journey with us together. Let us come and see his glory. As we come to the table, we remember the greatness of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. We remember that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Sojourn, communion, communion is for anyone who has put their faith in Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter if this is your first time at church or if you're a regular attender. If you've put your faith in Christ, please join us in communion. Come and have your faith renewed. Let this be an expression of obedience. Let this be an expression of faith. an expression of obedience and faith. Let it be a reminder to us that we need to cry out to the Lord. We need to trust in the Lord. We need to put our faith in the Lord. Now, if you're struggling today and you don't feel like coming up right away, I just would urge you to spend some time hanging out in your seat and go before the Lord in prayer. And if you can't go before the Lord in prayer, reach out to someone next to you. Share with them what's going on. Let them beseech the throne on your behalf. And if you, need, if you need help, we can have one of our ushers uh, bring the sacraments to you. And if you've not accepted Christ yet, I want to invite you to take this time, stay in your seat, and reflect on the truths of who Jesus is and what he has accomplished. Simply that Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, died for our sins, rose again, and is now eternally eternally triumphant over all of his enemies, so that there is now no condemnation for those who believe, but only everlasting joy. You see, taking communion, taking communion is a declaration that Jesus is our only hope. And for that, we can rejoice. For that, we can find peace. And we would love to tell you more about Jesus. So after the service, please 
find myself one of the other pastors, one of the other members, one of the other leaders. We'd love to share the gospel with you as it's been shared to us. Those of you who are taking communion, we have stations in the back, stations in the front. Whenever you're ready, tear off a piece of bread, grab a cup, then you can return to your seat and eat and drink. And again, like I said, if you're unable to come up, let one of our administrators know and they will come to you. Let us pray. Jesus said, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Surgeon, remember that we come not because we ought, but because we may, not because we are righteous, but because we are penitent, not because we are strong, but because we are weak, not because we are holy, but because we are broken. Come, for the Lord has prepared his table for all who love him and trust in him alone for their salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at sojournfairfax.com. Go in peace.